since it shows uh, that this is not strictly an American phenomena with the 23rd Psalm. In fact, this was at an Indian church. Uh, I vaguely know which church this was, and that's kind of why I chose this video. I just thought it'd be interesting to see how another group of people actually celebrates the 23rd Psalm. Well, today we're in the third part of Sheepish, and as Dennis already mentioned, the sheep are getting bigger. We started with this one. And now today I notice this little guy has showed up, which is good because it'll, I'll be able to illustrate something later. I'm just afraid some Sunday there's going to be a real one up here. <laughs> 25 years ago, there was a man by the name of uh, Charles Allen. He is a pastor. He wrote a book called God's Psychiatry. God's Psychiatry. It had a subtitle to it, which was Healing for the Troubled Heart and spirit. And in it, he talked about the healing power of God's Word. In particular, he talked about the healing power of the 23rd Psalm, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Beatitudes. And in that book, he tells the story about a friend of his who was having a really hard time. He was literally falling apart. He was nervous. He was tense. He had literally worried himself sick to the point where he went to the doctor but the doctor in examining him could not find anything physically wrong with him, and so he suggested that he go visit his pastor. Well, his pastor happened to be Charles Allen. And Allen sat there and talked to the man for a while. Then he took out a small pad of paper out of his desk, and he said, you know, if you went to a doctor, he would write out a prescription. And that's exactly what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna write you out a prescription and I want you to follow it exactly as I write it. Five times a day for seven days, I want you to read prayerfully and carefully the 23rd Psalm. Do it when you wake up, do it before every meal, do it at bedtime, read prayerfully the 23rd Psalm. And the man took that prescription, agreed to do it, and went home. In a week, he came back a totally different person. That's part of the reason why I'm encouraging you to memorize Psalm 23. I mean, if, if you walk out of church this morning, let me be honest with you, if you walk out of church this morning and don't remember anything about sheep, I question where you've been. I mean, I, I look back and I already told you it's Good Shepherd Sunday. You already heard the King of Love, My Shepherd Is. We did the Lord's My Shepherd response. We heard a choir anthem. The Lord's my shepherd. We hold, heard a whole Indian congregation sing about the Lord's my shepherd. You see sheep in front of you. It ought to register somewhere, somewhere, how important this psalm is. Now, you already know the first two verses. And we're going to add a third verse today. And the verse we're, we're taking today is the third verse, uh, which is, um, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now that verse is all about purpose. It's all about God taking a life that's basically going nowhere or maybe going nowhere good and leading it to where it's going towards something great. When I look at that passage, this is an easy passage for me to write a sermon on because there's really three parts. He restoreth my soul, part one. 
He leadeth me into the paths of righteousness, part two, for his namesake, part three. Any of you could preach today with that one verse. I'm not sure you want to, but you could. You probably could. Well, I want to take a look at these three parts. We're going to talk, take a look at that first part. He restores my soul. And the, what this reminds me of, here's point number one. He'll get you back on your feet. Now, I, I've been reading this book over and over. I read it a long time ago, but it's called The Modern Day Shepherd Talks About Sheep, or about the 23rd Psalms, written by a guy named Philip Keller. And he says there's a problem with sheep. He said sometimes this sheep gets turned over on its back with his little feet sticking up in the air, and he's unable to get back up. He said that it often happens when, right before a ewe gives birth, when she's kind of heavy with his extra weight, she'll lie there, feet up in the air, flailing away, trying to get up, but without any success. Now, oddly, Keller says, sheep in this condition, upside down, usually don't bleed for help. They just lay there and flail their arms and legs around in complete frustration. And if the shepherd doesn't come on the scene and put them back on their feet, that sheep will eventually die. For this reason, shepherds always have to be on the lookout for fallen sheep. Now, let me ask you, who else is on the lookout for fallen sheep? They're called predators. They're called wild dogs, they're called wolves, they're called coyotes, you, you, whatever it would be. They know that a fallen sheep is easy prey. They know that a fallen sheep cannot easily defend itself. And when I stop and think about that, we're no different. We really aren't. Maybe you remember that old commercial for Life Alert? Remember the old lady? Help! I've fallen and I can't get up. Well, this happens to us too, but in more or less a spiritual sense. We fall down and we can't get up. We find ourselves in a situation that we can't fix. And we just lay there and we thrash around. We try to get up ourselves, but we refuse to cry out. And the situation just gets worse. We're laying there. And then all of a sudden we spot a predator coming and we think, oh, finally help is on its way. That's how stupid we are. But doesn't the Bible say somewhere something about the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking about looking for juicy Lutheran sheep to eat? See, if you've fallen down, if you're in the situation where you can't get out of, guess what? Your shepherd is looking for you. If you call him, if you bleat, if you cry for help, if you pray, you turn to him, He'll come. He'll hold you close. He'll put you back on your feet, and you'll start walking again. Now, I've seen this happen time after time after time in my years of ministry. I've known people who have fallen down financially, and I can't get up. I know people who have fallen down in their marriage, and I can't get up. I know people who have fallen down in their homes, and I can't get up. They've fallen down morally, and I can't get out of this. In each case, when that situation looked absolutely, positively hopeless, it stayed that way. Well, they laid there and say, oh, poor me. 
until they called out to Jesus. And they called out to Jesus. And when everything seemed to be hopeless, here comes the good shepherd. The good shepherd picks them up, puts them back on their feet. And Keller writes, you know, that fallen sheep are an everyday part of the shepherd's life. But he says, there are some sheep that are so stupid that they never learn their lesson. Does that sound the least bit familiar? Are you sitting next to one? Now, don't look. <laughs> you know, the sheep will go out in the meadow, and they'll lay down in the soft green grass on their side. And they stretch their little sheep feet out, getting comfortable. But slowly but surely, their center of gravity begins to shift. Boom. And the next thing you know, there isn't a foot touching the ground. And they try as hard as they can to get back up, but they can't get up. And the watchful shepherd will go and he'll rescue that fallen sheep. And the next day, there he is again, laying down. He'd be in the green grass again, feet stretched out, can't get up. Now, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd comes back and doesn't say, poor sheep. I mean, you're a, you're a lamb chop dinner for someone. No, he comes and he lifts the sheep, puts him back on his feet, and he will do that time after time after time after time after time. Why? Because that sheep is valuable to the shepherd. The shepherd never gives up on you. He will restore your soul. That's what that means. He'll get you back on your feet. Lord, restore my soul. Put me back on my feet. And what is the Bible? All we need to do is call out. Lord, I've fallen and I can't get up. I've fallen in my marriage. I've fallen morally. I've fallen with my family. I've fallen financially. Lord, help me out. Here comes the good shepherd. Here's the second thing. He'll get you moving in the right direction. On your feet. What do they say? Sheep gamble? Is that the word they use? They don't really run. I think the word they gamble. Not G-A-M-B-L-E. You don't see many of them at the boats. Just dumb sheep. But they're just dancing along. He'll get you moving in the right direction. David says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Did you ever hear a story about a a family on vacation that loses their dog on vacation, go home heartbroken, and when they pull up, the dog is sitting on the front porch. Nancy and I have a friend. They had a cat. These, I taught with him at Lutheran High School in Chicago. They were traveling from northern Illinois to, I think, Virginia, or Carol, one of the Carolinas, out on the east coast. They stopped somewhere in the Shenandoah Mountains at a rest stop, got out, and when they did, the cat shot right out the door into the forest and disappeared. I mean, they were bummed out. I mean, you lose your cat, but they couldn't find the dumb thing. So they went on to Virginia or the Carolinas to be with their son. On the way back, they pulled in that same rest park when they opened the door, boom, out of the forest, cat right back in the car. Now, some of these stories are urban legends. This one we know to be true, but if you don't believe this stuff happens, go home, get on your computer, Google, dog finds way home. You'll find all kinds of stories. See, some animals, it seems, 
have this inner compass that enables them to find their way back home. But not sheep. But not sheep. Once, you know, they're on the right path, but then they start wandering around. They wander around. They wander around. And they just can never find their way back. Part of the reason is sheep have limited vision. They say that a sheep really can't see much more than about 10 or 15 yards. They only know what's right in front of them right now. So it's difficult for them to take any steps into the future. Any of you all got that problem? This is why we tend to focus on one thing at a time. This is why we get so self-centered, because we can see ourselves. We have one little thing, and we are often oblivious to where this focus is taking us. Now, for some people, they are just laser beam focus on accumulating money. Money, 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 money. Or they're accumulating success. I can't say that a whole lot of times past. I get messed up. Success is... But they have this nearsighted vision, and all they go is they've got to take this next step to make this next dollar, and in the process, because they're so narrow-focused, they're creating a vacuum in their relationships. They're so focused on money or success or whatever that they neglect their family or they neglect their health or they neglect their spiritual life. And guess what? Sooner or later, that stuff comes back and it haunts you in the years to come. hate to tell me how many people I've, I, I've had tell me, you know, Pastor, I've just wasted so much time chasing stuff. You know, and in the process, I kind of lost the respect of my kids. I lost the respect of my wife, or I lost my wife. Now, what do you see with your short-term vision? Is it the next drink? Is it the next pizza? The next conquest? The next sale? The next party? The next vacation? I mean, what are those, when those things that we see with our nearsighted set of spiritual eyes guess what? They ultimately lead us into a wandering lifestyle that, you know, when we get there, never really seems to be where we thought we were going. That's why I'd encourage you to put your shepherd in close-range vision. If you're going to put your eyes on anything, how about Jesus? You ever hear that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus? That's what we're doing. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on the prize, some people say. You know, we can't see long range, but guess what? He can. He's already been there. Been there, been here, been there. Like sheep, we see about 10 to 15 yards. But he can help you see weeks or months or even years ahead. And when you can't see clearly all that lies ahead of you, you can be sure of one thing, that he's already walked that path. He knows where he's taken you. So when David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness, he's just saying, God gives me directions in life. I mean, David is saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I know that my life is going somewhere. 
that I'm moving in the right direction. I think about that every once in a while when people come and, you know, people are like, oh, Pastor, I just don't have any direction for my life. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any purpose. Is the Lord your shepherd? That's a good question to ask somebody. And if the answer is yes, well, are you following him? Are you asking him for direction? Are you asking him for guidance? Are you, are you looking to his word and seeing what it is that he might say? It's amazing how many people will go, oh, do I have to do that? Or, or people say, Pastor, I've talked to everybody else. I, I, I just finally decided I should come to you. Oh, I'm, the, I'm your last resort. Or people who say, I say, well, have you prayed about it? And they go, oh, has it come to that? You know, if you want a purpose for life, why not ask the Lord what the purpose for life is? You know, God will give you a vision of what he wants you to accomplish in your life. He'll give you goals and dreams and long-term goals and plans. He'll give you, he'll give you a purpose to pursue. And guess what? Then if you have a purpose to pursue, you're going to get to the end of your life, and you can look back, and you're going to say, oh, wow, that's where I started one time. And this is where I am today, and I'm, I'm getting closer to the finish line. See, God wants each of us to have a vision for what we can create and build with our lives. This, this gift of purpose, uh, and, and essential to purpose and, and essential to long-term vision, is having this short-term direction that comes from our good shepherd. Our life journey. I heard one of my favorite songs this morning. I heard this, uh, I think it was Bebo Norman and Rich Mullins. I love Rich Mullins, but the song is called Step by Step. You know, sometimes by step, I think is the actual name of somebody. He said, step by step, you'll lead me, and I will follow you all the days of my life. I love that song. See, our journey from here to there is made by taking individual steps day after day after day after day, but guess what? You've got to take them in the right direction doesn't do you any good to go in the wrong direction and see the way to know if you're going in the right direction is what to make sure that your eyes are on the shepherd see we don't always know the right steps but he does he leads us day by day by day in the paths of righteousness that's what the psalm says to ensure that we become what he intends us to be I mean, sometimes we say, I don't know what I'm, I want to do when I grow up. An appropriate response to that might be, who cares what you think? What, what do you think God wants you to be? Well, guess what? God has a whole bunch of things in his Bible of exactly what he wants you to be. Now, I'm not telling you open up your Bible and it says you should become a, a, a public school teacher. But God has plenty of other directions for you. That's why I think it is so very important to start uh, your day with prayer and Bible study. Because, see, God's Word and prayer gives us correction and direction. Without Him leading us in these paths of righteousness on a daily basis, we're no, we're no better than a bunch of wandering sheep who've got a bunch of goofy ideas and intentions who couldn't find their way past the next mud hole. That's why every day, Lord, give me some guidance, some direction, because He will do what? He'll get you back on your feet. And he will move you in the right direction.
What else is he going to do? <clears throat> well, he's going to use you to make a difference in the world you live in for his glory. That's really key. He's going to use you to make a difference in this world for his glory. David says what? He leads me in paths of righteousness. How does it end? For his name's sake. That phrase, for his name's sake, appears any number of times in the Bible. Let me just give you a couple examples. Uh, Psalm 106, verse 8 says, Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. 1 John says, I write you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, what does that mean, for his name's sake? It means that God does this. He forgives our sins. He gives us guidance. He does all of this stuff. He gets us back on our feet. He gives us purpose and direction. And he does it for one reason. He does it to demonstrate who he is. See, God wants this world to know him. God wants this world to experience him. Uh, part of what Dennis read to you in the scripture lesson today from 2 Peter chapter 3 said, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants the world to know that he's a God of love, that he's a God of power, that he's a God of justice, that he's a God of tender mercy. He wants the whole world to know what a gentle, wonderful shepherd he is that cares for all of his sheep, all of his people. That's pretty amazing. But you know what I find sometimes even more amazing than that? It's that he chooses you and he chooses me to get that message across. See, that's our basic life purpose, is to share the message of Jesus Christ with other people. He's using us to demonstrate his power. He's using us to demonstrate his love. He uses us to demonstrate his mercy. He uses us to demonstrate his compassion to a world that desperately needs to know all of those things. And he wants us, he wants us to do that for his name's sake. So that other people will come to know that he is God. Not so that we can go, oh, look, like little Jack Horner, what a good little boy or girl am I. That's not the point. It's the point to God. So he wants to use you to change people's lives. And he wants you, he wants to use you to bring him glory. I, Isaiah said, though, but all, like sheep, we've all gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And like I said before, limited vision, you get self-centered. That's what sheep do. They're prone to wonder, and there's not a single one of you here today, including myself, that are not prone to do that. We're prone to fall down. Sheep are prone to fall down, so are we. We are prone, like sheep who make mistakes day after day, we are prone to do the same thing. But I want, to, I, want, I want you to know something. The good news here really is this, that in spite of your own self-destructive tendencies, in spite of my own self-destructive tendencies, God's nature does not change one bit. Not one bit. He remains our tender, caring, loving, powerful, compassionate shepherd. When you fall over, he picks you up every last single time. He puts you on your feet. He gets you moving in the right direction, all because of who he is. 
It brings Him glory when He rescues you. It gives Him glory when He uses you. It just demonstrates who He really is. Now, every week I've given you a little bit of homework. Now, some of you treated the homework about like you did in school. Oh, yeah. But maybe some of you have been pretty intentional about it, and I applaud you. If you haven't yet, it's never too late. It'd be called cramming for the finals. And I want to do a challenge again this week, four different things. First of all, memorize verse 3. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, you, you want to memorize that, but tack that on to verses 1 and 2. Anybody want to stand up and do verses 1 and 2 for us? We had Tommy got verse 1 down last week. Who wants to do verses 1 and 2 before I call on you? There you go. Okay. You were going to do the whole thing, Muriel, I could tell. You know what's interesting? If you memorize that and you think about it, you say it over and over and over again. I had an email from somebody this last week who listened to the message online. It doesn't belong to this church. And said, all week long, I have been looking and praying for and asking for the green pastures and the still waters. And guess what? I found them every day. If you think about those paths, you know, leading in paths of righteousness, he'll show them to you. He'll show them to you. The second thing I, I, I put down, practice spiritual breathing throughout the day. And this is uh, something I, I haven't talked about in a long time, but spiritual breathing kind of goes this way. I, I, I hope all of you can go seven days without falling down. But let's be realistic. We're sheep. We're bound to. But if sin creeps into your life and knocks you over... Don't just stay there. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins and he'll restore you. Now, the spiritual breathing is life goes bad. What should you do? Take that deep spiritual breath and say, but my good shepherd is still with me. I get knocked down again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Put me back on the right track again. I mean, he'll do that every time you call on him. The third day is to begin each, prayer, each day with a request for guidance. Ask God to reveal those paths of righteousness, those right paths. Now, a lot of times we use that word righteousness. Maybe I should give you a quick definition. This is the way I always think about it. Righteousness is right thinking, right doing, right talking, right living. I don't know, does that help you out a little bit? Lead me in paths of right thinking. Lead me in paths of right talking, in right doing. So every morning, say, Lord, I could use some still waters today. could use some green pastures today. And by golly, take me down a path of right living. I bet you if you'd say that, you'd find out that works. That helps your eyes open to the needs of other people and the ways God can use you. Here's the fourth thing. End each day with a moment of reflection. Now, it's not reflection where you lay in bed at night and go, oh man, this is a crummy day. This, this still water stuff doesn't work one bit. Now, any, any dumb sheep can do that. 
No, in the day of reflection, not on your failures, because, because if you followed step number two, you don't have any. Or did you skip step two? I don't have any regrets at the end of the day. Why not? I practice spiritual breathing. Every time I slipped, I said, Lord, help me forgive my sins. He put me back on the feet and says, come on, walk that way. At the end of the day, I'm going to reflect on what? I'm going to reflect on the day's successes. And I am going to thank God for using me for his namesake. And then I'm going to sleep like a baby sheep. May God grant that to all of us. For Jesus' sake, amen.